We're embarking, embarking upon a study of the gifts of the Spirit, and we've covered a number of subjects. Basically, our introduction and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have been quite a few teachings. And now we're going to begin to talk about the gifts of the Spirit themselves. We're going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. For to one, to one believer, to one Christian, to one brother or sister, is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. Notice it's the same. It's not something different. To another, faith is given by the same Spirit. Not something different. Exact same Spirit. To another, the gifts, plural, of healing by the same Spirit. It's that same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, divers kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and self same spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. We've noticed that Paul ends chapter 11 on the note by saying, The rest will I set in order when I come. And as Paul was meditating and writing this letter, when he said the word order and let things be done decently in order, when his mind clicked on the thought of order, he immediately thought, order, well, the main thing that needs to be in order is the gifts of the Spirit. So he plunges into a teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. In chapter 14, as he concludes this whole thing, he ends by saying in chapter 14, verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. So he said that Paul sandwiches his gifts of the teaching around two statements having to do with order. Now, if in fact the gifts of the Spirit are weapons of warfare, and we know the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty, and the greatest weapon of all that we have is praise. But next to the weapon of praise, the gifts of the Spirit are right in there as our weapons of warfare. And every Holy Ghost-filled, Spirit-filled Christian has the ability to move in all the gifts, but in fact, it is God's will that he move in one or more, and usually more than one, of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, in order for that gift to become a ministry and become a real gift, it has to be something you do more than just once or twice. I have never given a message to the church in tongues, but if I were to give a message to the church in tongues tonight, I would not go home and tell my wife, oh, I have the gift of tongues. I give messages to the church in tongues. And if that happened again next week, I still would not conclude that I had that gift. For you to have a gift means that when the anointing flows, when the Spirit is rising high, and when the Holy Spirit within you is stirring, that is something that frequently happens to you. Not occasionally, not once every six months. It's not the Lord's will that if you have a gift of healing, you pray for someone once every three or four months. That's not right. If God has given you a gift of healing, then you are supposed to function in that gift. Now, whether or not you have that gift, as a parent, you should lay hands on your children and pray for them before you ever take them to the doctor. 
They fall off the swing, lay hands on them. They come into the runny nose, lay hands on them and pray for them. Don't let me the doctor first. I don't even go to the doctor second. Don't tell anybody, but I don't even go third or fourth. I'm going to give God every single opportunity I can. And when I'm sure that if we don't go, they're all going to die, I get them in the car and off we go. <laughs> I want to give the Lord every opportunity to demonstrate and manifest his healing virtue before I try alternate methods. And so the gifts of the Spirit are for us, wins, yins, and essence. It's something that we need to desire to have. Let me show you that in the Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. First of all, he said, Now concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you ignorant. So, first of all, he does want us to understand them. And secondly, if you notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, Follow after charity or love and desire spiritual gifts. And so the Apostle Paul, speaking by the Spirit of God, says, John, you need to desire and have welling up within you the desire to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Brother Colin, you need to have welling up within you the desire to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Paul says that we're all to desire to move in those gifts. And it's my job and my responsibility to encourage you to come forth and move in the gifts of the Spirit and give a prophecy and be willing to pray for people and be willing to lay hands on the sick, and yet I'm supposed to monitor that at the same time. And God will hold me accountable if I do not allow and encourage you to come forth in gifts, and he will hold you accountable if you do not desire to come forth and manifest those gifts. All of religion is not a matter of what God can do for you. But there is a life of obedience and a life of faith that God expects you and I to live in. Do you know what God expects you to do when little Johnny gets sick? He expects you to lay hands on him and pray for him. Do you know what God expects you to do when little Sally and little Susie falls and hurts themselves and you think maybe they have a broken arm? God expects you and requires of you that you come forth and lay hands on them and pray for them in Jesus' name. You do not need a gift of healing to do that. That is simply your responsibility as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do have a gift of healing, well, that's all the better. But God has placed those children under your care, and when they're ill, it's your responsibility to practice the gifts of the Spirit and practice moving in the things of God by praying for them. Tonight, the two gifts that we'd like to talk about are a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. And these gifts are sometimes difficult to separate. I know I was praying for a lady, a minister's wife, some months ago, praying for her to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now that's exciting when you're praying for a minister's wife. They usually have a little more resistance than other people because they're so spiritual. Spiritual people usually have more resistance, and that's why they receive less from God than people who are lower down. The lower down you are, the more able you are to receive, and you say, oh, God, just do it, and God just does it, and you go, woo-hoo, God did it, hallelujah. But if you're intelligent and spiritual, you, ha, you got it all together. And you observe, you know, and you say, wonder why I don't get any prophecies. 
I wonder why nothing happens to me. Well, nothing can happen to you. You're too spiritual for anything to happen. You've got to come down to where you need help in order to get help. As long as you don't need any help, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, you're out there healing people. You never have healed one of us guys. You never have delivered us. And he said, well, guys like you don't need a doctor. Only sick people come to the doctor. I only heal people who admit that they have problems, and I only give prophecy over people, he said, who admit that they're not the most spiritual people in the world, and they come acknowledging that they have a problem, and Jesus said, I minister their problem. He said to those guys, you guys, I can't help. <laughs> but a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom are exciting. Here I am praying for this lady, and she simply would not receive the baptism. I mean, she said, I'm, I'm open, and everything is cool, but there was no tongues, there was no manifestation, there was no release of her spirit. And as we were standing there in my living room, the Lord just spoke to me, and I said, you will not get a divorce in Jesus' name. I say, you will not. And I said, the sins of your youth that you walked in those lessons in times past will not come back on you. You will not fall into sin in Jesus' name, I decree it. And she went, oh, and she started speaking in tongues like crazy. And she giggled, and she laughed, and she bubbled, and she giggled. She came unglued for three and a half hours. She sang in tongues and talked in tongues and waved her arms. If you ever been to my house, we always have chili around, so we stopped a while and ate a bowl of chili. And I said, you want to pray in tongues some more? Praise God. Boy, up there those arms, and she sang in tongues, and she prayed in tongues. She carried on something awful, or something wonderful. Wasn't all those wonderful. Now, the thing that released her was, and she told us this afterwards, 14 years of marriage had been smooth sailing. But all of a sudden, for no reason, that this was like Friday night. The previous Friday, her husband of 14 years had said to her, Honey, I'm tired of this whole mess. If you don't straighten up, and notice it's always the other person, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to leave you and divorce you. And that thing went through her heart like a knife. And she had walked for a week, just panic-stricken, terrorized, just just in a total fit for an entire week. She was immobilized emotionally and spiritually because of what he had said to her. And because of what he had said to her, she began to think, well, what's going to happen if my husband leaves me? Here I am with these kids, and if he's gone, what am I going to do? Get a job in a restaurant? Am I going to get a job in a factory? What am I going to do? And she began to think, well, then do I have to get married again? Am I going to marry another guy? Am I going to just start sleeping with guys? Am I going to be some kind of slut? What's going to happen to me? And she started fantasizing about going back into the sins of her youth. And this lady, in a week's time, had developed a serious problem caused by a hard-hearted husband, I might add. He's a nice fellow, but he's very insensitive to his wife. But all that problem was fomenting in her, and I had never met her before. She just happened to live across the street, and we just happened to invite her over, and her husband just happened to be going somewhere else, and she just happened to say, I'll come over anyway. And I had never met him, and had never met her, and knew nothing about it. But when I spoke those words, by a word of knowledge, the Holy Spirit gave me a piece of information about her. When I spoke that, it just, just like you'd thrown a hand grenade into a Volkswagen. It just blew the doors off, man. She just, oh, she just spoke in tongues like crazy. She was totally released 
by the power of God in an instantaneous demonstration of a supernatural word of knowledge that came from God. Now that is the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit. Isn't that exciting? Oh, I could tell you stories like that all night. I might. <laughs> well, bless the Lord. But the Lord is in the business of meeting people's needs. She had a need that she was not going to open her heart to. She had told no one that her husband had threatened to divorce her. She had told no one of those fears. She had told no one any of those things. And she did not intellectually understand what I did to her when I spoke that into her spirit. She had no idea what happened. All she knew is, just like that little Volkswagen, has no idea why the doors and windows just blew out, but it was that hand grenade. It was the word of the living God that came like a knife and came right into her spirit, and whew, she just exploded. The gifts of the spirit are weapons. They're more devastating than a hand grenade and more deadly than a Colt 45. Now, it's my responsibility, the Lord having armed you with weapons, but you see, it's like a child who's got a gun stuck in his pocket and doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know it goes off. He doesn't know what in the bullets come out of. He doesn't even know where the bullets are to put in the gun. All he knows is he found this piece of something, and it's not a car, and it's not a stick. He doesn't know where it is. He's got it in his pocket, and that's the way we are. We're the children of God, and we're armed with deadly, explosive weapons, but we're not even aware that we have them. And as we teach about them and make you aware that you have them, and as your faith increases so that you may move in those things sometimes, there comes a time when we have to be careful that we don't shoot one another with the guns. You see, as that child becomes aware that this is not a stick, it's not a block of wood, that's steel, cold-rolled fine steel, honed and carved and all fixed up, you know, dangerous piece of weapon that's called 45. And as that child gets a revelation of the power that's inherent within that weapon, and as we deal him out some ammunition, and as we tell him, you're all set, loaded for bear, fire when you're ready, fire when you see the whites of their eyes, and as we begin to release people to do that, we also have got to monitor what is done so that one does not shoot another. Now, one reason you shoot people is because you mistake them for the enemy. <laughs> Look at those people on either side of you and say, you are not the enemy. Some of you are having trouble saying that. Let's try Amen. Praise God. Let's try that. Oh, glory. This could be a hot number here. Let's try that one more time. Turn to that person next to you and say, you are not the enemy. Amen. Praise the Lord. Boy, I hope maybe we got some things settled just then. I don't know. <laughs> well, bless the Lord. But you know what Jesus Christ did when he stood at the, with the woman at the well and he began to tell her about the living water? And he spoke by word of knowledge. A supernatural piece of information came into his mind from the spirit realm, from the Father, he said, I don't say anything except I hear him say it. He heard it with a spiritual ear. He heard that and he spoke it. He said, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. But he didn't speak that in such a way to kill her. He spoke that in such a way that it was quickened to her in the same way that I spoke to the lady that she was not going to get a divorce 
I was not going to go into the things of the past. I was not accusing her or being ugly or rude to her. I didn't even know what I was saying. All I know is it just came on me and I spoke it into her. Jesus spoke that into that woman that went in there and just exploded her. And the next minute she was running into town saying, come and see a man, come and see a man that told me all things I ever did. The truth is he didn't tell her all things she ever did and he didn't know all things she ever did and he didn't want to know and he didn't care. A word of knowledge is a piece of knowledge. A word is a piece of a sentence. A word of a knowledge is a piece of God's knowledge. God knows everything. You and I know whatever he gives us by a supernatural revelation. Now, he only gives you what you need to know. You know what else God revealed to me about that lady I was praying for? Anybody want to guess? Nothing. What did I need to know about her? Nothing. What did I care about her? Nothing. I mean, I, I appreciate her. She was a nice lady. I didn't need to know a bunch of things about her. I didn't want to know a bunch of things about her. There was no reason for me to know a bunch of things about her. So God did not tell me a bunch of things about her. He only spoke to me that one thing which I needed to know to perform the task. When you go to the doctor and you've got an ingrown toenail that's infected, do you want him to give you a lecture on the latest heart transplant machines and the latest blood analysis and hemoglobin dialysis and whatever else? Do you want a lecture on all the junk he's been reading all week? Do you want to hear all the things that he can sit down and tell you about the human nervous system and the retina and the new technique for studying the eyeball and cutting away the cuticle and, and whatever? You, know, you don't want to hear all that junk. You come in, you want one thing to solve one problem. You've got the infected toenail, and you need something on that thing to get it straightened out. And when we stand before God and someone has a need and God drops the word to meet that need, that's all he drops, and that's all he dropped on Jesus. It would have destroyed Jesus if he had known everything about everybody that he came in contact with. It would have drug him down. Well, it's just not how it happened, folks. The Lord gives what is necessary to provide the deliverance in the given situation. Amen? Amen? Now the word of wisdom is something a little bit different. Amen? The word of wisdom has to do with God's divine purpose. God's divine purpose. And those are the two words you need to remember. Divine purpose. <clears throat> I was out in Denver praying one night and I was going to be preaching the next morning in a Baptist church. It was in the city of Denver on the, on the borderline of an area that had been turning Spanish. And so the church had about a third or a half, probably a third of the people in it were Spanish. Of course, I didn't know that at the time. All I knew is they'd asked me to come over there and speak. And I was praying Saturday night, and I said, Oh, God, you know, give me the message. Tell me what's going to happen tomorrow morning. And prepare my heart for this. And all of a sudden, I just saw a little vision. And I saw this guy, and he had a dark beard, you know, grizzly-looking guy, mean-looking fella. I thought, whew, look at that guy. <laughs> sure hope I don't run into him tomorrow. And I saw myself calling him out, saying, come up here. 
you are going to be saved today because I saw your face in a vision. I told him the whole thing. God wants to save you today. This is your day to be saved and delivered and totally released. And I'm thinking, that's a heavy trip, God. <laughs> that's a heavy trip, Father. You know what you're doing. I said, yeah, sure do. So I go down to this Baptist church. Here I am sitting on the platform, you know, nervously watching, watching for this guy with the beard. <laughs> Boy, I looked and I looked. And as the service started, I thought, ha ha, he's not here. <laughs> I don't have to do it. I mean, I don't want to cause a ruckus. I don't want to cause a disturbance. Who am I to cause a disturbance in this sweet little Baptist church? So I got up and preached and all, he never showed up. And I said, ha ha, boy, I got out of that. <laughs> well, Debbie talked me into going to this charismatic Catholic meeting that night. She said, this is going to be wild. I said, you'll have to show me. So we got to this meeting. We sit down, we're minding our own business. And I looked up out of the corner of my eye, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> here's this guy with the beard. And I'm thinking, his name was Bob. He was really a nice guy. I'm thinking, oh, no, Lord, I don't know any of these people. First time I've ever seen them in my life. I can't pull off something like that. So they were, you know, praying and strumming the guitar and carrying on. And next thing you know, they had a little quiet time, and I got up, and I said, Now, I don't know if you do things like this here or not. But I saw a vision last night, and I saw this guy's face in a vision. He's going to be saved right here in just a minute. And he's here tonight, and God has worked all these details out for this moment in time so that he can be saved and released. And he has all these problems, and God's going to deliver him right now. And they're all sitting here, you know, looking at one another. Now, let me tell you, this guy had not been paying attention. They'd had a teaching on something. He was not paying attention. He did not sing. He did not raise his hands. He sat back there, colder than the wart. Oh, he was dead, I'm telling you. He just sat back there and looked mean. Just mean, you know, just plain mean. So I said, well, you know, it's up to you, Lord. So I got up there, and I said, I saw him, and he's going to be saved, and he's going to be delivered. And they're saying, okay, come on, show us, show us. I said, it's that man right there. And he said, me? <laughs> I said, you're the man. And he was broken instantly. He began to weep and sob uncontrollably. And he came up there, and I laid hands on him, telling you the anointing was so thick, if you needed goggles and swim fins to get through that place, there's an anointing in there you couldn't believe. See, these people knew the guy. Now, let me tell you what had happened. This man's wife had gone back to college. They were in their 40s. They had teenage children. She had gone back to college to further her education. She met her a nice 20-year-old boy down there of some sort and fell in love, so they say. And she runs off. Her husband comes unglued at the seams. What do I do now? I'm in my 40s, he says. My wife has left me. I've been a good Catholic, and it hasn't helped. And so this man got on drugs. He began to drink heavy. He'd had this job for like 10 years with the government. He was all set and secure and supervisor over several other people and had a good income. And they had come and told him, uh, your performance has dropped off. <laughs> need to tighten up. And he was coming unglued at the scene. He was on drugs. He was on booze. 
And he had decided that week to kill himself. He said, well, I mean, he just sat down and calmly said, I will kill myself. This is the end. Now, those of you who have studied suicide tendencies know that a middle-aged man who has just gone through a divorce is the highest suicide risk of any group other than doctors and psychiatrists. Of the normal human population, <laughs> you'll get that, of the normal human population, middle-aged men who have just been divorced are the highest suicide risk. He said, I'm committing suicide. He had a nephew there who knew that he was going completely bananas. And so his nephew said, listen, will you go to church with me one time? And he told him, he said, I'll go with you one time, but I'm committing suicide this week. It's over. I'm, you know, it's over. I'm killing myself. And he had already determined, and he'd all set it up, and he had the day planned and everything. He was killing himself. And he told his nephew, I will go with you to church this one time, and if something happens, fine. I don't expect it to, but if it does, all right, and if it doesn't, that's okay but I've already decided I'm killing myself. And when God pointed that guy out and said, you're going to be saved right now, he just, just like a little Volkswagen and you throw in a hand grenade, blew the doors off, the windows out. Bob came to my house for three months every Tuesday night and we discipled him and told him about the Lord and told him about walking in the Spirit and discussed everything about doctrine, gave him a half a dozen books and prayed with him and talked to him. For three months, we worked with him every week. And that man was beautiful. He loved the Lord, and you've never seen a more willing learner, a more excited person in your whole life than our friend Bob. we got all these pictures at home of Bob over at our house eating pizza. <laughs> you say, what in the world changed a man's life just like that? A gift? of the Holy Spirit. Now that was a word of wisdom because it involved God's divine purpose for his life. If God had simply spoken to me that as I was there at the meeting, that man over there is lost and needs to be saved, that would have been a word of knowledge, a piece of information about him, but for God to lay out the entire plan for me showed God's divine purpose in the whole matter. A word of wisdom is more profound than a word of knowledge because a word of knowledge is a simple piece of information. If I had no idea of Brother Callan's condition and I said, God just spoke to me that your left toe hurts, and that was a piece of information that I supernaturally received, that would be a word of knowledge. But if, in fact, God gave me a word for Calvin and had to do with his life and his ministry and all that he would be doing, that would be a word of wisdom because it's God's divine purpose. Okay? And the word of wisdom is more profound and deeper than the word of knowledge. Okay? Now, I want to say one thing about a word of knowledge. <clears throat> it's not a lucky guess. A word of knowledge is not a lucky guess. And a word of knowledge is not something that you were sensitive enough to pick up on. That is something totally different. You see, I'm a very sensitive person, and the more you pray in the Spirit, and the more you pray for people, and the more you move in spiritual things, and the more you give prophecy, and the more you pray and listen to the Lord, the more sensitive you become. And your human spirit gets to where it picks up all kinds of things about people that is not a supernatural revelation. 
And most of the time we say, the Lord showed me, or the Lord said, and the Lord didn't say anything, and the Lord didn't show you anything. You're becoming sensitive in your human spirit. Okay? Now that's important, because if I tell Brother Johnny, the Lord showed me, whew, that's one thing. But if I'm simply very sensitive and I sense something in Brother Johnny, that's something else. And most of the things that we sense about one another, and the more sensitive you get, the more you will sense. And most of what a prophet does is simply the sensitivity of his human spirit moving in discerning of things and not a supernatural revelation. Let me try and make that practical. How do you make that practical, Lord? If I sense that Joanne is lonely, for instance, I don't want to go to Joanne and say, Honey, the Lord has showed me that you're lonely. That's a lie. I'm very sensitive. And if Joanne's lonely, I may sense that as soon as I talk to her. Joanne's lonely. I can sense it. So I don't want to put her in bondage by telling her the Lord showed me that she was lonely. Are you lonely, Joanne? I don't want to put her in bondage by telling her the Lord showed me because that insinuates that God has given me something for you and it's my responsibility to share this with you and minister to you. You see? Whereas if I simply am sensitive and pick that up in her that she's lonely, that's simply something I picked up in her. And it may not be that I need to pray for her or talk to her at all. I may just go home in my prayer closet and say, Father, I send the word to Joanne. God, heal that loneliness. Lord, minister that loneliness. God, lift her up and give her joy. Deliver her from loneliness. You see, that's different than me saying, Joanne, Lord has shown me that you're lonely. Then Joanne says, Oh, God showed the pastor things about me. Oh, what next, you know? Hallelujah. See, there's a whole different flavor to that. So it's important that we figure out that those things which we are sensitive to are not a word of knowledge. It is simply your human spirit, as you grow in the Lord and you get accustomed to the things of the Holy Spirit, your human spirit becomes trained to where you pick up things instantly on people. Just as an adult at the playground watches the kids playing and he can just read their mind. He knows when the kid gets that little plastic bat and heads over there, he's going to whop the other kid. You can just see it. And you can see when the kid's lonely, you know, they just wear it. Well, adults wear it just as well. It's just a little more thinly disguised. And the more sensitive you become, the more you pick up on things, but we walk softly about identifying that as the Lord or saying that's a gift of the Holy Spirit when it's not. It's your human sensitivity. You say, if it's a gift of God, then God has commissioned me to do it. But if it's simply my human spirit and I'm sensitive to that need, then it's me. I have the option of doing or not doing. And when I come to you, I'm not coming with thus saith the Lord. It's simply I sense in you a certain loneliness. Can I pray with you? You see, that has a whole different flavor than God has shown me something about you. <laughs> That's uncomfortable to a lot of people. Is that uncomfortable to you? If someone comes and says, God has spoken to me about you, you go, whoa, back up. <laughs> 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 
So there is a word of knowledge that is a supernatural piece of information. But all too often what we hear is something that is a piece of information. For instance, I have had people come to me and say, um, you know so-and-so's financial status, don't you? And I said, well, yeah, we're pretty close. I know his financial status. So they'd say, um, you know, does he pay his bills on time? Is he irresponsible or what? See, well, yeah, he's irresponsible. No question about that. No, he does never pay his bills on time. I said, aha. Uh -huh. So then you go to church a few weeks later and you hear a prophecy coming out. Yea, Lord would say, Thou shalt no longer be irresponsible in finance. Thou shalt not defer to pay thy bills, and thou shalt not say, I shall pay it next week. For the Lord would say, Pay it this week. No longer shalt thou procrastinate. You say, Oh, people wouldn't do that. Hey, my friend, guess what? People do a lot of things in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm not being cynical or critical. I'm just wanting to sharpen up. I mean, the whole idea of teaching on the gifts, we want to sharpen up our understanding a little bit to where we know who's who and what's what. Now, let me give you an illustration. Don't you love illustrations? It makes it very real. I want to use you, Jan. If Jan knows that Debbie has a problem in a certain area, you have any problems, dear? Lots of problems. Jan discovers that Debbie has a problem. Jan knows about this problem. And so Debbie's getting prayer for something else. And Jan says, the Lord just showed me that the real problem is that you worry, or whatever. Well, the Lord hadn't showed her anything. And yet by saying the Lord showed me, it is an act of authority and aggression upon the other person. And it shows an evil motive on Jan's part. And I know you'd never have an evil motive. But that's an illustration. It shows an evil motive on her part to take authority over Debbie and put a trip on her, a bondage trip. God showed me, honey. Well, be careful. Be careful. Now, the word of knowledge is real. I was standing with a fellow the other day in ministry. Blew my mind. And this guy came up and he says... Son, you read too much pornography. You got a head full of smut. In Jesus' name, be released from that smut. And then I'm going, woo, back up. I mean, and it's true. I mean, the guy didn't say, I don't read pornography. He read pornography. And the prophet read it out of his spirit that he read pornography. He, he got that. Word of knowledge, boom, came into him. Pornography hound, whammo, and he stuck it to the guy. Right there in public, there was several hundred people present. I went, oh, oh God, help us. You know? It is true. God gives us a word of knowledge, a piece of information that can set a captive free, that can deliver a person, that can transform their very life in one stroke of the Holy Spirit's knife. One stroke can set a person free. But oh, how we need to walk softly about what we attribute to God and what we attribute not to God and to be cautious in those things that we know as information. Here's a good rule. Information is not inspiration. All right? Information is not inspiration. And so, 
if God gives me something for someone and I already knew that, probably I won't give it to them. All right? If I knew that Brother Jim had had some financial difficulties, and I knew that, and he was my friend, and I was praying for him, and God, as I was praying, just laid on my heart to minister to him about financial things, probably I wouldn't do it. Because I would be afraid that Jim would know that I had known that he had a little bit of financial strain at some point, and that he would question my motives, and therefore, unless God just beat me in the head, I would not say it even if God told me. Because I want to keep in trust things that I know, and I want to separate very carefully information from inspiration. Now that's why it's important that when you have a man in who moves in prophecy and in the gifts of the Spirit strongly, it is important that you distinguish between what he knows about you and what the Holy Spirit tells him about you. If we had a man to come in here who was a prophet, and I know quite a few, or an apostle who moved in the gifts of the Spirit a lot, I would not tell him anything about any of you because that might contaminate what he would say. It might influence him in some way. And therefore, until the services were over, if he said, how are things at the church, I would just grin, you know, those smiley faces you stick on. I'd stick one of those on, I'd say, great, praise God. And I wouldn't say anything to him about anybody or anything else because I would be afraid that any knowledge he had of the church might contaminate something he might say to someone. And so to keep his mind starved from information so he can get inspiration, I wouldn't tell him anything. If he said any of the church leaders give him trouble, I'd say they're all angels. I would simply give him no information whatsoever. And therefore, you lessen the risk of any contamination from information coming to you. How much revelation from God does it take to figure out that a person who weighs 300 pounds does not control their diet and eats too much? So, how much of a prophet do you need to be and how much of a word of knowledge do you need to get from God if a person who weighs 300 pounds comes up and you say, and yea, thou shalt begin to control thine appetite. Well, okay, fine, but what does that mean? You know, everybody knows that. You know, and you say, God has shown me that your diet is not regulated. Come on now, please, don't insult our intelligence, okay? We're adults, human beings. And we all know the people who weigh 300. See, I can weigh that. I can say that because I'm under... 300. Now, if I weighed 300, I'd use 400. <laughs> See, what you do is you find somebody bigger than you and you hang around with them, you look thin. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about, though? A word of knowledge is a piece of supernatural information that God gives you about a person. It is not an all-knowing about the person. It is not simply something you can sense in their spirit. It is not information that you have from them, about them, but it is a divine, supernatural revelation. It does not help to be smart. It does not help to be clever. A word of knowledge is a totally supernatural phenomena that can neither be tricked, faked, 
forged or phonified. You just can't do it. It is a totally supernatural thing. You can't read the Bible more and get more of a word of knowledge. Say, I'll have more of the gift of knowledge if I read the Bible more. It doesn't come by reading the Bible. It is a supernatural gift that God places within your mind, a piece of information that you could not have possibly known. And you speak it and it brings release to the captives. I was out in Denver, driving from Denver to Colorado Springs, just singing in tongues, having a wonderful time, driving along in my car, hallelujah, and just singing in tongues like crazy. And all of a sudden I heard a voice. And the voice said, I'm going to get rid of her. She's no good. All we do is fight. I'm through with her. I'm divorcing her. That's it. I thought, my Lord, who is that? God, who is that? So I heard the voice again. He says, I'm getting rid of her. I'm throwing her out. I'm tired of messing with her. It's over and it's finished. I'm divorcing her. There's no use arguing about it. It's all set. We're through. So, well, God, who is that? And he showed me this guy's face. It was a black fellow. So, well, God, who is this guy? Where am I going to run into him? He said, you'll see him tomorrow at the Full Gospel Businessmen's Meeting. So I went in there the next day, and I recognized him because he was a black guy, and there was only three or four black guys there, and I had my black eyes out, you know, looking for the black people. <laughs> had my black glasses on, looking black, looking for black people. And I saw him. There he was. We love black folks, amen? Brown folks, yellow folks, green folks. <laughs> folks with green hair. We love everybody, amen? And there this guy was. His name was Maurice. Maurice, my friend. We began to be good friends. So I saw Maurice over there, and I thought, well, I'm not the speaker at this meeting, and they're not going to ask me to get up and say a few words. Now, how am I going to minister to Maurice in this meeting? So, you know, if you've been to full gospel meetings, they praised the Lord a little while, and then there was a little quiet time, and I jumped up. And I said, yesterday I saw a vision of a man, and I explained exactly what he was saying. It's through, it's over, I'm divorcing her, it's all set. And I said, God has a word for you, and that word is that two are better than one. And the Lord says that woman will help you if you'll stay with her, and you'll hang in there, you'll make a go of it. He will minister to you, and your marriage will flourish, and God is going to transform your life and hers too. But you've got to stick with that marriage because God says two are better than one. And man, that guy just went, Woo! <laughs> he came unglued. He didn't do anything. He was over there, you know, carrying on crazy. So right after the meeting, boy, here he came. Yeehaw! And he came over and hugged me and cried and came, and, you know, and all this. He was like a little Volkswagen. You throw in the, what is that? Grenade. Hang grenade. Blew his doors off and all. And so... Uh, that week we had he and his wife over and we got to know them and they started coming over and being our pals and we had a beautiful relationship with them and they got their marriage all patched up. I don't know of any other way that that thing could have been settled just like that than by that gift of the Spirit at that moment given in that way at that time. Now if I hadn't been riding along the road praying in tongues, worshiping God and and what I'd do is I'd keep one eye on the road and I'd switch eyes because I could concentrate on God better with my eyes closed. And I'd even close them for about 10 seconds at a whack because I was on the interstate and I figured it was safe. And boy, I was flying high. I mean, I was playing eagle. I was in an airplane, but I was really in a car. And I was just soaring down the highway and boom, the Lord just moved on me and all this. 
It was exciting. And through that gift of the Spirit, that man was totally delivered and we developed a beautiful relationship with them. The gifts of the Spirit are real. They're practical. They're glorious and they're wonderful, but they should never be abused. They should never be used to take authority over people or to dominate another person with. They're like Colt 45 pistols. We've got a whole army full of people here or soldiers, and you've all got a rifle with a bayonet on it and a Colt 45 and a couple of grenades in your belt, so I'm going to walk softly up here because I can see all the artillery out there, and I know you're all loaded for bear. It's my desire that those gifts would be triggered and that you would begin to come forth and begin to hear from God in a supernatural way. The difference, let me say again, between a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom. A word of knowledge is a piece of information, but the word of wisdom has divine purpose in it. What I just told you about the black man was a word of wisdom because it was God's divine purpose for their marriage, and it was all laid out. And it is deeper and more profound than a word of knowledge. Let me say also that the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom may come to you in different ways. The basic ways are you may have a vision, which is something that happens while you're awake and you see into the spirit realm. It will normally happen while you're praying or while you're worshiping God in your prayer closet or while you're driving and praying in tongues. However it happens, it is like a vision and the spirit realm is simply open and you see something in that realm. You're still conscious but you see it happening. It also happens sometimes through a dream, a supernatural dream that God gives you. It also happens through an inner witness. You just feel it in your spirit. See? And I've been in services where the Lord would say, uh, have all the people take their coats off and just act like Jesus is riding into Nazareth and stroll their coats all on the floor for him to walk on. Well, you know, you're looking at 500 people with three-piece business suits on and the ladies all gussied up, you know. You hate to ask everybody to take their coats. I had everybody take something off, even if it's a hairpin. Get something off your body. I don't care what it is. I don't care if God gave you 18 revelations about me. If you don't love me, I don't want it. Because if you can't minister it to me and give it to me graciously and in love... I don't want to receive it. I will not receive it. And so, like our gentleman who came up this morning who had something to say, you know, let me take over here. Well, I don't care if he had anything to say or not. No one does anything when I'm around in that spirit. That was not the gracious, lovely spirit of the Lord Jesus in a humble and Christ-like manner. It was a spirit of aggression. Here, I have something to say. No, I'm afraid you don't. Not here. I only want to hear what God says, and I only want to hear it presented in love and graciousness. You can destroy people with truth. Did you know that? I could bring a prophet in here who could come through, and I'm not saying that, that a guy would, but a guy could come through and tell you every ugly thing about yourself, every temperament, whether you're mean or ugly or whether you cuss a lot, whether you drink, tell you every ugly wart on your nose and every wrinkle on your head tell you everything nasty about yourself you ever wanted to hear and at the end he'd say and God wants you to straighten up and walk right hallelujah 
and he would have destroyed you. You'd go walking home beat and crippled, you know, and all crippled up. We don't need that. We only need to hear from God ministered in love and with the compassion of the Holy Spirit, and that edifies the body. If it's ministered some other way, it does not edify. Amen? So how are you and I going to begin to move in a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom more? That's going to happen, number one, as you pray at home, asking God. You go into your prayer closets, you go into the other room, you lay back on the recliner, you begin to sing in tongues, and you say, Oh God, I open my heart to you. I open my spirit to you, Lord. I ask you to move upon me. I'm your heart. Play upon my heart strings, Lord. I'm your trumpet. Just toot me, Lord. Just do something to me. I open my spirit to you for your moving upon me and just wait before the Lord for half an hour. And he will do things to you, not every time, but frequently he will move on you. He will give you a revelation. He will give you a word of knowledge. He will give you something. He will minister to you that you're supposed to pray for so-and-so for healing. He will show you that you're supposed to call so-and-so and pray for them right now. He will move upon you at that time. Now, the other time that's most likely for him to move upon you is in a church service such as tonight, he'll move when we're worshiping. Now, if you say, well, I'm tired tonight and I wanted to just sit down and take it easy, well, he's not going to move on you while you're tired taking it easy. If you're praying at home and you want to seek God and you want to hear from him and you're tired, get up and go walk around the block as fast as you can and come back and try again. He's not going to move on you when you're so tired you're zonked out and dreaming about little lambs jumping over the fence. You need to be stirred in your spirit, not sluggardly in your spirit. And so you've got to be alert. And the other time other than your prayer closet that God will move on you is right here in the assembly as we're worshiping, as we're praising specifically. We speak to Him and we praise Him and we worship Him. And then we have a quiet moment where we wait for Him to say something back to us. We're carrying on a conversation. We're saying, we worship you, Lord. We exalt you, Lord. We lift up your name, Lord. And we wait upon him. And he pours out his spirit. And he says, yea, I've lifted you up, my children, this tonight rejoicing. And he, he speaks back to us, see. And so one thing we have a tendency to do is through pride or other things, whatever the reason, may have worked 14 hours, I don't know. But if we lay back and just kind of ease on in, you're almost guaranteeing that God will not speak through you in that service. And so it behooves us if we desire to hear from God, if we desire to find out what our gifts are, if we desire to know how would you use me, God, it behooves us, especially when we're worshiping, to put every single nickel, ounce, dime, quarter, everything we have into it and to open our heart totally to Him and totally concentrate on the Spirit of God so that He may speak through us. That's our responsibility. Sometimes the flesh will cry out. No! Don't make me wave my arms! I worked all day! Leave me alone! Let me rest! Say, flesh, you hush in Jesus' name. I'm going to worship the Father and I'm going to hear from heaven. Now hush up, flesh, and you just put your heart into it and begin to worship. Next thing you know, you've heard from the Lord. And you say, that's it, God. Hallelujah. 
Is that the way it works, Brother Gallant? Does that flesh ever get tired? Whip it. So listen, flesh, in Jesus' name, straighten up. I'm going to worship God, and you're going to help me. You get those arms up there, flesh. You've got to talk to that thing. Subdue it. You know, Joshua's subduing the Canaan land. We've got some land here to subdue. You say, well, I, I watch what I eat. I'm careful about my body. Well, who cares? Do you use it to worship God with? Huh? I'm careful about my body, too. I force it to worship God, whether it wants to or not. Whip it into submission. Rule that thing. Conquer that Canaan land. This is the biggest Canaan land I'll ever conquer is this earth suit here. If I get this Canaan land that I'm standing in here tonight conquered, get all the giants out of it, chase all the evil out of it, conquer every enemy in it, subdue and possess it, then I'll be in good shape. Amen? Everybody all set on the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom? Do you have some understanding now about what those things are? Let me say one other thing, give you some food for thought. The word of wisdom enters into a deeper and a more profound realm because the divine purpose of God relates to a number of things. It can be the divine purpose of God as related to an individual. For instance, we talked about a man named Bob, and the divine purpose of God was for him to get saved that night, at that moment, as I laid hands on him and prayed for him, and it happened. That was the divine purpose for him. There can be a divine purpose of God for this church. And that may come through prophecy or through vision or something. And you see the divine purpose of God and what his desire is for this church. That's the word of wisdom. If God told you the church will grow next year. Well, I question God telling anybody anything that simple. Let me back up here a minute. God is not in the business of giving you superfluous information. Okay? Just as the lady that I prayed for who received the baptism and the Lord spoke to me about her marriage and not getting a divorce and all, God didn't tell me a bunch of stuff about her. God is not going to fill your head with superfluous information. And when you come and you say, I had this dream or I had this vision, and then I saw this, and the guy had one arm in a bandage, and the other arm he kept lifted up, and he had a funny hat on, and then he had this broom, and you go through all that, and then I say, well, what does that mean? Heck, if I know that's what I came in here for. I want you to tell me what all that means. Well, it means you had indigestion. What do you think it means? God is in the business of transmitting information to you, not a garbled, mumbo-jumbo, mixed-up information. Now, don't misunderstand me. If you have a dream and you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. I'd be happy to, or a vision or whatever. And we'll talk about it. But what I'm saying is, if you get all mumbo-jumboized on all the details of a bunch of strange things, confusion does not come from the Lord. Amen? Amen? And God's not in the business of giving you weird dreams about funny hats and guys with a broom and one arm up and all kinds of strange... Hey, I've had some unusual stories. You don't know the half of it. God is not in the business of confusing your mind with lots of superfluous information that would be irrelevant anyway. Okay? Now, that was free. I just threw that in. 
Back to the word of wisdom. The word of wisdom is profound. It can be a word of wisdom on the divine purpose of God for an individual. It can be concerning the divine purpose of God for a church or for the church in general. Okay? It can be a word of wisdom concerning a nation. For instance, Ezekiel would write, and he would say, the word of the Lord that came to Ezekiel concerning the nation of Egypt. And he would give all this information about Egypt has done this, Pharaoh has done that, and Egypt has done this. Therefore, God shall curse Egypt, and God shall cut them off, and God shall do this, and God's going to do that, and he's going to chase them out of the land, and they're going to be defeated, and they're going to go through this, and they're going to go through that. That is a word of wisdom concerning a nation. Your sphere of ministry grows as you grow spiritually. You will begin by having a word of knowledge for Jan, or a word of knowledge for Calvin, or a word of knowledge for Debbie. And then you'll begin, a word of wisdom is more profound, you'll usually begin to have things of that nature a little bit later on, and as that expands from information concerning an individual, you may receive information about a church. And as that expands, you may receive information about the church world in general, or about a certain denomination, or about a certain leader. And as that expands, there are those who have a ministry before God who have a word of wisdom concerning entire nations and countries and peoples and kings and kingdoms and rulers. Men like that are few and far between, and you do not assume that you can lift 300 pounds over your head unless you lifted 100 first. You work your way up. If you come to me and say, I saw a dream, and in this dream I saw a plane flying over Russia and lightning struck the plane and bombs were dropped and I saw a headline and then I saw Japan. You know what I'm going to say? You quit eating that lasagna and those pepperonis because it's tearing you up. You've got to cut that out. <laughs> God is not going to say, well, why wouldn't he do that to me? Why would he? It would be stupid irrelevant. It wouldn't make sense. Who would ever come to you and ask, have you had a vision of Russia today? You know what you'd say? Of course, doesn't everybody have visions of Russia on Sunday afternoon? God is not going to give you a bunch of information that is irrelevant, that you cannot use, and that is out of keeping with where you are. And you think I use dumb illustrations, but I've had people do every one of those things and more to me. Oh, yeah, sir, and they're going over China and all this. Well, who are you? I teach Sunday school at a four-year-old apartment. You teach Sunday school in the Presbyterian Church in the four-year-old department, and God's trying to explain to you about China and Russia and war and nations and countries and kings? I said, you're walking in delusion. I don't mean delusion, Alabama, either. I mean delusion, as in strong mental delusion about who you are and what you are. And last of all, I would say this. Maybe last. Who knows? Bless the Lord. If there's something you have that's questionable, come to me and we'll talk about it. I have sat in church services where the Lord gave me something to say that if I said it would change the course of an entire service with five or six or seven hundred people sitting there and a dozen ministers standing around me. Now, am I going to say something that will change the course of this entire service or am I not? I'm not going to do it hastily. Pray is it, come on, God, is that, is that you? I can't, can't muff up at this point, God. I'm, ah. 
And when you're 200% sure, then I'd go over to the pastor in charge. I'd say, uh, I feel like the Lord wants us to take the service in this direction. Just stop everything right here. Pray for people to receive the baptism or stop everything here and pray for the sick. Or just stop everything here and have all the ladies who've had, you know, female problems come forward or whatever. I've had some strange <laughs> information from the Lord. But before you're going to stop a service with five or six hundred people sitting there worshiping God, you better find out if you've heard from God and you better clear it with whoever's in charge. And you just tell him, this is what I feel like the Lord is saying and leave it with him, and then it's up to him. God's not going to bug you because you have released your responsibility. So if God has given you something that you have question about, come and talk to me about it. Or if you want to do something in a service that's unusual, come up and ask me. All I would do is say, well, what is it? And if the Lord witnesses it to me, we'll do it. And if not, I'll say, well, I'm not, I don't think so. And we won't, and there's, there's no harm done. But be free in the Lord. Allow yourself the liberty. I allow you liberty. I give you liberty, so take it. Receive the liberty of the Lord. Receive the freedom to do what God prompts you to do. And when that still small voice comes, and that piece of information and that desire comes, speak it, yield to it. That's the end of our teaching on the gift of the word of knowledge and the gift of the word of wisdom. And now we're going to go into a teaching on the discerning of spirits. We've been teaching on the gifts of the spirit and we've now come to a very exciting gift of the spirit that's called the discerning of spirits. I don't think that we'll be able to cover this in one teaching. So I'm prepared to teach on it twice. And in case we do get it all covered, that's all right. But I expect probably we'll need two teachings to cover this gift because there are a number of things involved in the gift of discerning of spirits. We want to begin by making a distinction between natural discernment and supernatural discernment. There are many things that you know by natural discernment. I'll give you an illustration. If I'm standing right here and you come up here and you stand in front of me, then you're aggressing upon me and you have a rebellious spirit. If you stand beside me and close to me, you're showing submissiveness and you're under the authority that is here. Now that's not a supernatural revelation, okay? You don't have to be a genius to figure that out. All you have to do is study a little body language and the movements of people and find out where they're coming from. So if you had a doctor's degree in psychology, you would have figured out by now that a person who puts their hand on their face a lot while you're talking to them and can't look at you is nervous. They're intimidated. That is natural discernment. We're not talking about that. The gift of the Spirit is a supernatural phenomena. It is not natural discernment. It is supernatural. There are so many things in the natural that give away what is in your heart. You don't have to be a genius to know that when someone is nervous or afraid, they breathe faster. You can see their breathing motions. Their hands get cold and clammy. Their pupils may dilate. 
they have certain symptoms of that nervous tension. That is not supernatural discernment that we're talking about. So the first thing I want to do is establish firmly in your mind that the gift of discerning of spirits is not a natural phenomenon. It is not something you learn from a psychology book or studying a book on body language. Although many of the principles that you find in psychology and in studying body language and all, many of those things are true. And you might get a little sharper about analyzing people if you studied those things and understood the way movements, gestures, positions. Come here, Jack. Let me give you an illustration. Jack, I haven't used you as an illustration in weeks. Now, if I call Jack up to pray for Jack, and I put my hands on his shoulders like this, that is an act of aggression and authority over Jack. Now, if Jack has a rebellious spirit, which he does, and Jack's a good man, and he wants to let me know that he has no intentions of allowing me to take authority over him, put your arms over my arms on my shoulders, Jack, then he will do like that and smile cheerfully. And Jack has just told me, don't lay your hands on me like that with authority because I don't have to bend to your authority or anyone else's. See? Thank you, Jack. But I'm telling you, there are so many things in the natural. Now, I'll say more about that. If that were to happen, and I had a word from God for Jack, and I just felt especially aggressive, and he came up, and instead of putting my hands on his head, I put him on his shoulders, which is a real act of aggression. And I said, yeah, God would say unto you, Jack, and I'm just, ah, and I'm just prophesying up a storm. As soon as he put his arms over mine in an act of rebellion and defiance, my voice level would drop a notch. And before I got done with that prophecy, it would drop about three notches. And I'd end by saying, and the Lord shall bless the old Jack. <laughs> and I'd be totally whipped out and intimidated by the time we got through with the great word that I had from the Lord for him. And he would go home and his wife would say, well, he sure was fired up when he started prophesying to you, but he acted like a whip dog before he got done. I wonder what happened. And they probably wouldn't understand what had happened. Now, what I'm telling you is things, there are so many things in the natural that can be naturally perceived, naturally understood, naturally seen, or naturally discerned. Okay? That is not the gift of discerning of spirits. If that incident happened and I went home and told my wife, Jack has a rebellious spirit, that would not be a gift of discerning of spirits. It would be a simple, obvious observation, knowing some basic principles in the natural realm about interaction. Are you with me? Probably the greatest deception of all times is the deception that says, nobody knows what I'm really like. Folks, most of us are so transparent, it's ridiculous. And even without any supernatural discernment. You know what happens when you go into a psychologist? Psychiatrist, he sits there and watches your body language. Now, most of those guys don't have the Holy Spirit. Now, some do, but most of them don't have the Holy Spirit. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not speaking against them. You ask them, are you a spirit-baptized, tongue-talking believer? And they'll say, are you kidding? 
I hope you're not one of those, you know. They're not into that. So I'm not speaking against them, but I'm saying without any of the gift of the Spirit involved, without any supernatural revelation, they'll sit and watch your body language, your movements, your facial expressions as you talk to them, and your expressions may change when you begin to lie to them, if you do lie. Heaven forbid that any of our wonderful people would lie. But I'm saying this, there is a natural discernment that is naturally perceived by the eyes and by the ears and by knowing what you're looking for. That is not the supernatural gift of discerning of spirits. That is natural discernment. Natural discernment automatically grows as you get older. Well, I take that back. Natural discernment should automatically grow as you get older. <laughs> Sad to say, it doesn't always, but it should. I want you to raise your hands. How many of you understood all those things that I just said were acts of aggression and different things that I said and nervousness and all those things? Did you understand all those things? They're really not that sophisticated. Okay? And the more we grow, the more of those things, the more we grow spiritually, and the more we watch, the more we'll notice, and the more we'll pick up. Okay? So the gift of discerning of spirits is not a natural phenomenon. The word discernment is the Greek word diakresis, and it means to investigate through. Now, if Linda had just gotten a $1,000 income tax return check, hey, amen, wouldn't that be nice? If Sister Linda had just gotten a $1,000 income tax return check, and one of the kids inadvertently threw that check before she could rush straight to the bank and get it cashed, threw that check in the waste can, and her husband came home from work and said, okay, where's the big check? She said, oh, I don't have any idea. One of the kids uh, cleaned off the table and threw some stuff in the trash. He would grab every item in that trash can and he'd pull it out and he'd, uh, and he'd inspect it closely. He'd say, oh, that's not it. Uh, and he'd look at the next one. That's not it. And he would inspect thoroughly. He would investigate through the contents of that trash can. The things we're dealing with tonight are far more precious than trash cans. They're people's spirits. They're what's inside people's hearts. But the word to discern means, dia, it's diacresis. It means to investigate through, to thoroughly search out something. And so if you notice that so-and-so bites their nails and you come up with a conclusion that they're nervous because they bite their nails and pull their hair out, you have not investigated through the matter you have not penetrated to the heart of the matter. You have not thoroughly discerned and thoroughly understood the problem. So there is a difference between natural discernment and supernatural discernment. The supernatural discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, oftentimes... We look with the human eye and hear with the human ear and miss what our discerner, which is inside our spirit, would tell us. A little child, six months old, will have keener discernment 
than a little child three years old. Because the little child three years old has learned to look with the eyes and listen with the ears. And the little child six months old has not learned what to look for about anything. All they know is they just see people moving around and they hear voices talking. See? And by six months of age, they've identified their mother and father's voice, but they're not really looking at anything and they're not evaluating anything on the basis at six months old, they're not evaluating anything on the basis of what they're seeing or what they're hearing. But at three years old, they've already begun to do that. And so frequently, a six-month-old child, let's say the child had very spiritual parents, parents were filled with the Holy Spirit, they prayed over the child, the child was always in a spiritual atmosphere, and was not around extremely evil, wicked people. So when extremely evil, wicked people come around, the child that's six months old, and the child is three years old, the six-month-old child will begin to cry and turn their face away, and, and uh, uh, you know, and mommy's got to hide their face and off from this person who has something desperately evil in their spirit. And the three-year-old is not being bothered because the three-year-old has some information on them. They can say, well, I, you know, this is a person five feet, 12 inches, you know, however many inches, and they weigh 1,800 pounds. The three-year-old has some information and is already beginning to evaluate with the mind and is not listening to their spirit. Whereas the little child does not have the ability to mentally grasp all the details and figure it out, and so they only have what they feel inside to go on. Now that is a principle, but I want to give you this caution. Your child may go completely bananas when someone comes in the room, and it may be a person who has a beard and they've never seen a man with a beard. It may be a person with a green hat on, they've never seen a green hat on top of anyone's head. It can be other things. So if somebody comes over to your house and your six-month-old baby goes bananas and cries and won't look at him, don't jump too quickly to conclusions. But it is fair to take notice. Okay? Interesting point. <laughs> the whole idea of discernment is far deeper than you may have supposed. Because even in the natural discernment, it's amazing. Two-thirds of what the psychologists or psychiatrists will write down in that report about you did not come out of your mouth. It came from what he studied and what you were doing with your body and the way you were moving and the way you were facially expressing yourself. And he saw this tendency and he saw that tendency. And he listens to what you say and he figures that you're dumb and you're lying anyway. If you knew what the problems were, you wouldn't be there. So he listens to you right along, but he's watching what you're doing, and he's taking notes, and he's checking you out with his natural discernment. But tonight, we're not going to focus in on natural discernment. What does discernment mean? To investigate thoroughly. It is not a hint. It's not a vague feeling. Discernment is to thoroughly comprehend, or as one man put it, he said, to discern is to see through to see totally through something and and it's like one of those things in science class it's a plastic uh, shell of a body that you see through and has all the organs in it discernment means to see right through into the heart of the matter or as diacresis means to investigate thoroughly but tonight we want to talk about 
we want to talk about the supernatural gift of discerning of spirits. We're going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you're over there in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen, there's your child, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. You say there's some things you just can't know. Wrong. There's not anything you can't know with the revelation power of the Holy Spirit. There are things that God may never show you or reveal to you. It might be dangerous to show you certain things, and God doesn't want you to hurt yourself so he wouldn't show you. But there's not anything that cannot be understood and revealed to you if you have the Holy Spirit, and if the Holy Spirit comes into you with the spirit of revelation, there is nothing that cannot be understood. Verse 11 says, For what man knoweth the things of a man save, and here we have one statement, the spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So we have the Spirit of man in verse 11. We also have the Spirit of God in verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. So we have the Spirit of man, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of the world. What's the Spirit of the world? Satan. All right. So there are three spirits in the universe, the human spirit, an evil spirit, and the Holy Spirit or God, the devil, and us. There are three categories of spirit, just like you'd say there's horses, cows, and dogs. There's God, the devil, and us. Three categories. So if you would discern what spirit is active, the first thing that would have to be determined is which spirit are we dealing with? Obviously, you'd want to deal with an evil spirit in a different manner than you dealt with the Holy Spirit, I hope. And you would want to deal with the human spirit of an individual in a different manner than you would deal with the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit. And so the first thing that is necessary and required in the discerning of spirits, the first thing you would discern and understand thoroughly or investigate thoroughly, or the first conclusion that you must make is which of the three spirits is manifesting itself? Which of the three spirits are we dealing with? All right? They have different characteristics, a different domain, a different territory that they function in, and there are many ways to conclude as to what spirit is moving. But normally we don't have two hours to determine the matter. You're right in the middle of the service, bang, something happens. You need to identify what has happened and gauge a response appropriately instantly. That's not easy. If you think it is, you're wrong. <laughs> not an easy situation. Let's read while we're right here in 1 Corinthians 2 a couple of more scriptures. Verse 13, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now look at verse 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, 
for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. The psychiatrist can study and come up with a conclusion in natural discernment. But in supernatural discernment, in a gift of the Holy Spirit, his doctor's degree is useless. His education is worthless. It is not possible for him to enter into a spiritual dimension and spiritually, supernaturally discern anything. He can only go by what he has learned from a book and from what the natural mind has schooled him to know. And I'm not being negative about that. They learn quite a few things in natural discernment. And it may prove helpful to many people, and no doubt does in some cases. Notice all those many, some, perhaps, and maybes. <laughs> I like that. <clears throat> verse 15. This is an interesting verse. He that is spiritual discerneth all things. Yet he himself is discerned of no one. Now that's an interesting statement. I'd like to talk to you about it for just a moment. The King James Version says, He that is spiritual judges all things, but he himself is judged of all men. The word is the word for discern, and the literal statement is, He that is spiritual discerns all things, but cannot be discerned of anyone. The basic principle is this. You discern about 50% of everything that's on your level. If Johnny and I are on the same spiritual level, the strength of our human spirit is equal, we're basically spiritual equals, and we're standing on level territory, he will discern about 50% of who and what I really am, and I will discern about 50% of who and what he really is. But as you observe people above you, your discernment goes to zero very quickly. And as you discern people below you, your discernment goes to 100% very quickly. All right? So if, in fact, Johnny is considerably above me in the Lord, then I will assume that what I seem to know about him is probably 10 to 20% of the truth. And I will assume that I do not understand Johnny. On the other hand, if Johnny were way below me and I had to say, Hey, Johnny, how are you down there? And he's way down there somewhere, I would assume that what I discern about him is probably 90% good. So the teaching is that a person who is spiritual discerns all things. Now, you discern or see through or comprehend or understand whatever you can understand. And what you can't understand, you just don't understand, that's all. But as you grow spiritually, the amount of information that you can perceive and what all you're sensitive to grows day by day. As you pray in tongues, as you worship God, as you're faithful in studying the Word, as you pray for people, as you're strengthened in your spirit, your discernment grows and grows and you become stronger and stronger and you see more and more and more. And so you come to a point where most of the people you meet you discern them or judge them, as verse 15 says. You become a spiritual person, and you can discern just about everything you come in contact with. And yet you're not judged of any of those people or discerned because they're down there and they can't perceive where you're at. 
Some of you looking at me funny. How many of you think anybody understood Jesus? You think anybody understood him? They weren't on his level. They were so far below him. Here they are. They're looking at one another. They're getting a 50% correct reading, and they got about a halfway good idea of what each other's like, and they look at Jesus, and their discernment level went to zip, nothing. And they look at him, and one says, I think he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. I think he's Elijah. I think he's Moses. I think he's a prophet from Deuteronomy 18. I think he's this. I think he's that. They had no idea who he was. They couldn't even guess in a million years who he was. No comprehension of him whatsoever because he was so far above where they were at. And I doubt that very many people knew anything about John the Baptist either other than that he was a wild and crazy guy. They simply were not able to perceive where John the Baptist was because he was considerably above them. But don't let this verse throw you when it says that he is spiritual judges all things. Spiritual people automatically discern things, but they don't go around picking at other people. You think every time Jesus saw somebody that had a problem, he went over and said, hey, you've got a problem. I need to talk to you about this. You've got a severe problem. This could have been caused by any number of things. Sit down. Let me tell you what all your problems are. Any of you think Jesus did that? No one else who's a man of God would do that either. And yet the discernment is automatic. The natural discernment and a portion of the supernatural discernment comes as an automatic function. All right? So don't let that scripture there in 1 Corinthians 2 fool you. He that is spiritual discerns all things, and yet he's not totally discerned of anyone since the other individuals he's dealing with are below him and cannot adequately perceive where he's at. I want to focus in this evening on discerning the spirit of man. We can talk about discerning or comprehending or seeing through or thoroughly investigating an evil spirit. You can talk about thoroughly investigating and comprehending and understanding the Holy Spirit in a person. But tonight I'd like to zero in on discerning the spirit of a man. All right, or a woman or whoever. So Sister Debbie walks in the room and I say, how are you? And we shake hands and our eyes, we look at each other and our ears, we hear the voice that says, how are you? But her spirit and my spirit have an interaction. The Holy Spirit in you is like a little computer. Well, let me say this. As a human being, we have a spiritual interaction. Just the human spirits, whether we're saved or not, doesn't make any difference. The interaction is still there. And if we have the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit interacts with the Holy Spirit in her, and the human spirit interacts, and we have all this interaction behind the words, much deeper than the words. Now, the first thing that happens is the spirit that is stronger aggresses upon the weaker spirit, takes authority over it. The first thing that happens in any spiritual interaction is the stronger spirit immediately aggresses upon the weaker spirit and asserts itself. And that all works good if I'm the boss and she's the employee and she walks in and I say, hi, Debbie, and my spirit reaches out and puts a whammy on her and she says, Oh, boss, sorry I'm late, you know, and everything's just groovy. But in fact, if she's the boss and I'm the employee and I'm late and I come in and I'm strong and she's weak and I say, sorry I was late, but I'll tell you how it was, and I begin to aggress on her in my spirit, 
because I'm much stronger than she is and a problem begins to develop. You understand that? See, we can talk about the man's the head of the home. Well, what does he become if his wife is twice as strong as he is? You see? It's like having a white ball and a red ball, and the red ball weighs a ton, and the white ball weighs two pounds. And we can develop any rule and get it out of the Bible or where else that says the one has to be the heavier ball. But you just can't stop the facts, folks. And some of you ladies have figured out, well, I know the Bible says to submit to your husband, you know, and I just try my best. Hallelujah, but I just don't seem to be able to do it. Well, the problem may be you may be twice as strong as he is, and the automatic situation is that your spirit aggresses on his and takes authority over him and has a dominant place over him at all times. And there's not anything you can do about that. But God has all the details built in, and the way God's plan works is that if a man and a woman get saved and they love the Lord and they read the Word, and they go to church, and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they pray in tongues, they worship God, that man will become stronger than his wife. God will see to it that he is put in the right position spiritually, as the Word says he should be anyway. Meanwhile, we waste a lot of effort, and a lot of the macho guys waste a lot of effort. My wife does what I say. And everybody, when he leaves, goes, <laughs> Oh, what a joke. Can you believe that? What a deception, you know. Anybody ever seen that happen? <laughs> Just a time or two, right? Well, that's what happens. The first thing that happens is there's a spiritual interaction. The stronger aggresses upon the weaker. You with me? That is inevitable. It always happens. And a relationship begins to develop, and the more it develops, the more it is solidified to where ultimately, if they spend enough time together, the weaker person will end up in total bondage. And so the guy starts to go to the bathroom, and his wife says, Where are you going, Charlie? I was going to the bathroom, honey. She says, You just went about an hour ago. He says, Can I go one more time, honey? Yes, Charlie, it'll be all right this time. Okay, honey. And then the preacher gets up and says, The man's the head of the home, and God's order, this is the way it ought to be. Charlie says, Praise God, hallelujah, did you hear that, honey? You know, and they go through the whole thing. But in fact, the stronger spirit always takes authority over the weaker. Now, interesting little tidbit. If the weaker person has a rebellious spirit, what is their instant reaction to being taken authority over? Rebellion. And the minute you leave, they say, there's something about that guy, there's something about that lady. I don't know what it is. I just don't think I like him. Oh, yeah? <laughs> it may be because they aggressed upon you and they're very strong, and your spirit kicked against that and said, back off. You don't have any right to do me this way. There are so many signs of aggression. Just like people come up. This is natural discernment. People come up and they talk to you and they'll stand closer. They invade your privacy zone. They get closer in your face. And finally you go, blow your breath in. And they go, ah! <laughs> That's one good way to handle them when they do that. 
one guy came in the church one day a couple months ago and I saw him back there and he walked up to one of our men and he put his hands on his shoulders which is an extreme act of aggression and I thought what is that guy doing back there he was a visitor so I ran right back there to him I mean I know how to do those things I took him by the hand and I stepped inside his privacy zone right up in his face and I said 